We bless you, Lord Jesus. We thank you that you are with us this morning and that even as we sing the words of Alleluia, you with your holy presence shine in our midst. And we're so grateful, Lord, that you have revealed yourself to us. We pray, Lord, that the sun of your righteousness would rise increasingly in our hearts. We seek you, Lord, this morning. Amen. This morning I want to talk about growing with God through passionate prayer. Our uh, psalm this morning will be our main text and we'll break it into essentially three sections, but I wanted to start by just sharing a um, a little bit of a story from my life. In the last few weeks there's, I I don't know what it is, there's just been these moments where I've I've kind of had my own emotions kind of go up and down. You know, you go through these periods of time when your emotions kind of are, um, I guess it's called their labile. You ever heard that term? Like they go up and then they go down and then they go up and then they go down. And, and um, a lot of times that's, that's pretty intense, right? That doesn't feel good to have your emotions be all over the map. Um, and so I was definitely in that kind of a mode. And um, one of the things that was happening to me was like, I was, I was um, doing like a lot of self-criticism, you know, and like um, self-flagellation. You know, I was upset with myself about certain things and, um, you know, and they were not, I wasn't all wrong, right? I mean, I have flaws. You can ask my family. Um, you can ask my close friends. Most of you, you know this. And so I'm, I'm like, you know, kind of ganging up on myself. And what happens when I do that a lot of times, and there, there are these little words and they're very pointy words. Like, you are this and you are not that. You know, and it feels very condemning and like it's kind of squelches life. And um, the way that it was coming to me, it was almost like within, if my life was a tree, it was like some of the rings that have accumulated in my life, like, you know, what wood is, right? There's rings that make up the wood of a tree. And it's kind of hardened at a certain point. It's not the, the, the part that you're growing anymore, but it's part of you. And some of those rings had faces of condemning people in my life in the past, like leaders who were upset with me in the past, or even maybe my parents. Sorry, Dad, but sometimes you guys got mad at me, and, and the, the faces get etched like rigid masks, like, I don't approve of you, you know. And they had that, that, that expression on them, and that's kind of how it was coming across. But um, I think I'd shared with you a couple weeks ago it's a really beautiful prayer image the Lord had given to me about how he wants to weave into, I think, my life, but also I think the life of light of Christ, a fabric of prayer, a fabric of revival, and that he's taking the strands of all of our lives as if they were living prayer and weaving them together. And it's this constant movement of the Holy Spirit in us and through us and with us. And it was so alive. It was so full of the presence of the Spirit. It was so encouraging to me. And as soon as I was thinking about these masks that were rigid, the Lord brought that picture of life and movement back to me that the Holy Spirit had granted me. And he began to work with these two things. And I began to take these masks and I started to just, Lord, like, here's these voices, Lord. You know where they come from. You know the roots of them. You know why they're still stuck in the tree of my life, you know. And I began to give those to him. And he began to take those rigid masks and turn them into prayer and weave them into ways in which he could minister to my heart. And I don't even fully know how to describe the value of what I was receiving. 
But it was, it was so right for me. I think it was like one afternoon in particular where I was praying this way. And, and the word that came with it was, you are alive, live. It was a very simple word. You are alive, live. And I, I think that, that meant a lot to me because, you know, the Lord's been breathing life into me through these even breathing prayers that I've been praying. It's, it's very full of the Spirit, the holy breath of God, if you will. And so you are alive, live. You're breathing my life, live. And, um, and that's what I was doing. I was just feeding it to the, the oxygen of the Holy Spirit and it was creating this kind of very beautiful and life-giving gift to me. And I want to say that I didn't think about it this way, but I think in some ways that's a pattern for how we can work through difficult times, for how we can work through very seriously, emotionally charged situations, okay? We have um, in our psalm this morning, it's Psalm 63, which became the cornerstone of morning prayer in the life of the church. So every morning throughout church history, this would be one of the core psalms. And in the West in particular, you would always pray that psalm of David's before you would come to Holy Eucharist. So in the morning prayer office of the church, you would have prayed that this morning. Now we don't hold the offices like they used to in the old days, but it was a cornerstone of prayer. In fact, there are some fathers who would say, if you just had one psalm, have Psalm 63. I know most of us would say Psalm 23, which I kind of have a, a partiality to as well. But it's because it, it's such a great school of prayer. And um, in fact, the entire Psalter is a, called the school of prayer. But this one in particular was essential. It's considered kind of a cornerstone. I want to just say a little bit about the setting here. And um, what we have in Psalm 63, it says um, in my, my notes here, in a lot of scriptures, a lot of translations that will say this too, that this is a Psalm of David written when he was in the wilderness of Judah or composed when he was in the wilderness of Judah. And what's happening is that um, he's already been anointed to become the future king, but Saul, as a matter of fact, is still the current king. And Saul um, is seeing David have all these victories on behalf of Israel, and Saul begins to be suspicious of him and becomes completely paranoid. And, um, and so while David's out on one of his campaigns, he realizes that Saul has plans to get rid of him. And he decides he really needs to stay in the wilderness and stay in this place of isolation. So he's up in the mountains and the desert areas around the Red Sea, and it's a pretty desolate experience. He has his fighting men with him, but he can't return home. And that's the context in which he is. In some ways, um, I want to say that um, it's, it's a little bit similar to what we see with Jesus in the gospel. You see in the particular gospel passage that I just read that Jesus is um, actually now the subject of a campaign against him. The Pharisees are starting to mount up and the religious leaders are starting to mount up a campaign against him. And uh, Herod's trying to figure out, man, did John the Baptist rise from the dead? And, um, and it's starting to encroach upon Jesus. And Jesus has his band of followers, if you will. And he goes away to a place of isolation to pray as well. And he's alone, but he's with his men. And... Um, so I want to kind of trace David's progression through this place of real intense um, emotional almost isolation and fear, you could say, and how he works through it. 
The first section uh, I want to look at is really, it's just verse one. It's, oh God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land. Earnestly I seek you, my soul thirsts for you. It, you could translate that, my throat thirsts for you. It's the same word can be translated in the Hebrew both ways as soul or throat. It's very, very much an earthly experience. It's very raw and he's very dry. But what he's saying is in the midst of this place, what he knows he's really hungry for, the consolation that he's really seeking, the refreshment that he really has to have, it's not just water, it's actually the living God. And he knows that at some deep level. But he starts by presenting the intensity of his feeling. And he, he's using really great metaphors that powerfully represent how intensely he knows that he has to have God. I think one of the things that happens is that when we, we get really intense emotionally, we start, to, we start to think, okay, there's only one way that this can be solved, and it's if these people will just give me what I want. Or if I could just achieve this remarkable thing, if I could just get this job, if I could just have this thing, you know, we start to think the intensity of emotion could be resolved by things that we imagine on the ground. And what David, I think, is saying and showing and realizing for all of us is that really beneath all the deep desires and the deepest intense desires of our hearts is ultimately a thirst for God. He begins by just letting that passion rise up in prayer. So I think that's one of the first things I want to say is that how much are we willing to let the intense emotional pain in our lives well up into a prayer? Like really work with it. I was talking with a friend the other day and I was saying, man, I know you're, you're struggling right now and um, this particular friend uses food to, to minister to his pain. It's kind of like how he manages his anxiety. That's a really good way to do it, by the way. Because, you know, you get the food in your stomach and you sort of feel kind of full and centered. And, and, um, but, I, you know, he and, he and I were talking and both realizing there, there is actually like an anxiety that would start to shake in his belly. He's like, so he'd go get some food. And he'd start to fill himself up that way. And, and we talked about how, what about if we, you took that feeling when it came up and you said, Lord, I am hungering and thirsting for you. You know, Jesus says, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they're going to be satisfied. What if you converted that to the real food of the word of God? Every word that proceeds from the mouth of God as Jesus realizes himself when he's in the desert and he's fasting and he's hungry. What if we took those intense emotions and we said, ultimately, God, you are the source of supplying them and addressing them and satisfying them with your very presence I think maybe that's the first thing that we can do. Sometimes we, we don't know what else to do except to bring that to the Lord, and if we can do that, we've begun prayer. Well, um, he is, you know, starting that way, but he continues. I think one of the things we also 
struggle with is, is keeping the prayer going. Like, we can get so intense about the feeling, we can actually get stuck in the feeling. And isn't that what we've all discovered here in the last couple, well, is it two years at this point? Um, at least this last year, we get stuck in our feelings. You've heard that expression a lot from this pulpit, from all of the preachers who've been here. We do get stuck in our feelings. And, and David doesn't do that. He doesn't get stuck in his feelings. He gets unstuck by having been honest. He's also somebody who knows how to re-enter into a way of appreciation. So if the first prayer is one of, I guess you could say thirsting, the second one is appreciation. And I break, I break this down into two sections. If you want to look at verses two through four for the first part of appreciation, what we have is basically David is remembering a time of connection with the Lord. He's remembering a time when he was in the temple, which is where the presence of God was. It's the place where you meet God. So he's remembering that. I've looked upon you in the sanctuary, your power, your glory. And he remembers it consciously, brings it to mind. He reminds himself of that experience because it is the place of glory. It is a place of joy for him. It's a place of encounter with God, a place of light. And he knows that he wants to do this because, again, God is the source. It says, your mercy, your steadfast love, your endless, utterly reliable, loving kindness is better than life itself. You are the milk of human kindness, and it's better than life itself. You are the source of life. And that's why he's remembering it. He's remembering the truth that God is the one who will satisfy the hunger and refresh and slake the thirst. And so I will bless you as long as I live. I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. It'll say in the next verse, he uses his mouth to praise the Lord. He lifts up his hands. He's remembering in a very tangible and very experiential way. He's not very just present to his emotions. He's also present to the joy of the Lord in a moment when he remembered God really was with him. And he evokes it in a way that involves his body and involves his lips and every faculty that he, that he can muster. I mean, a lot of times when you, if you really want to pray the Psalms in the way the church has always prayed them, you pray them aloud. In fact, you don't just pray them aloud, you sing them. And Jesus probably had a lot of the Psalter memorized, if not all of it, and a lot of Isaiah memorized clearly because they would sing the Psalms and they would sing and cantate and cantillate Isaiah and the prophets. And so he would, with his body, he would sing it and remember it and he would come present to the Lord. And so that's how he continued. He continued by, first of all, remembering but as he does this in a very embodied way, the second section of appreciation, I want to call it just enjoy. Right? We're seeing him being satisfied as with fat and rich food and that his mouth praises with joyful lips. It's as if he has just had the most satisfying meal. And uh, we had this incredible duck meal um, yesterday at Matt and Abby's. Where is Abby? I don't, oh, she's back there somewhere. Um, we, Matt and Abby uh, had us over for dinner yesterday, and I love duck. And one of the things that's so great about duck is it's very fatty. <laughs> <laughs> 
And uh, that, that you know, I guess, enhances the flavor. This is what the French say anyway. I think that must be true because uh, they know about food. And um, man, was that tasty. Oh, boy, was it good. But it didn't take me too much duck to begin to feel like, man, I feel kind of pleasantly satisfied. Or as my mom used to say, that was a delightful sufficiency. <laughs> and, um, you know, it's, it's a... It's an experience that is so real that the, the stomach that's tossed and turned with butterflies all of a sudden is settled because you've actually really eaten of the presence. And the, the presence of the Lord is very satisfying. I don't know how much food Dave, David had when he's out there in the cave, but he has a way of feasting upon the Lord and he does such a powerful remembrance, and he savors that memory so, um, so w- with every exquisite faculty that he could muster that it, it becomes satisfying to him. I mean, Jesus says to the disciples, I have food you don't know about. They're scrambling to get food in a desperate kind of a way. And he enjoys living water and manna from heaven, and he enjoys the, the food of the angels and the drink of the spirit and he enjoys it he savors it, he relishes it and this is what it says he clings to I mean God is ultimately faithful his loving kindness is so sticky that he'll never let you go and it's better than life itself but when we really get in touch with the truth of who we are we realize that we cling to him too You know you're in in touch with your true self if you will really cling to God above everything, if you will really cleave to him above all. I think what you see with Jesus, I want to just tie this into the gospel just briefly, is that you've got this contest about who is Jesus. And Jesus is the Messiah. A lot of the folks don't really know who he is. They're starting to follow him. They think he might actually be the Messiah that will overthrow the Roman oppressors and reestablish the self-rule of Israel. And so that's their concept of Messiah. But a lot of folks think he might just be a prophet. Maybe even John the Baptist raised from the dead somehow. And that is for him, knowing also that there's threats behind it, from Herod in particular, Um, that's a very distressing place to be. And Jesus would often withdraw into prayer in a place of passion and he would pray. When he is in that moment, he goes off with his closest friends and he prays. He will also, by the way, he'll ask them, who do you say that I am? I think sometimes we do need um, close friends, brothers and sisters. Hey, do do you get me? Do you see me? Do you appreciate me? And Peter gets it a little bit. So Peter blesses Jesus. You are the Messiah, the Christ. And um, he says, I don't want you to tell anybody else because they're going to get the wrong idea. But that provides a consolation. Now, of course, we know from the other gospel, Matthew, that it isn't too many sentences later where Peter, after Jesus says, but here's what's going to happen. We read that today. Here's what's going to happen. The Son of Man is going to suffer and he's going to die and he's going to be raised again. And Peter says, far be it from you that that happened. So sometimes even your closest friends, as much as they can appreciate you better than your enemies can, they can't get 
the reality of who you are and who God is in that moment in a way that you might need. And that's why you have to cling to God for your ultimate identity. You have to cling to him. That's what David does. David remembers that Samuel anointed him. Jesus remembers that the spirit descended upon him and did not depart. And he knows that he's the son of the father and he's been favored by the father. And he knows that and he clings to that. He's taking, by the way, the intensity of his passion. In fact, it says right after this that he's going to go up to a mountain and he's going to pray about his passion, his suffering and his death and his rising. And Moses and Elijah are going to be right next to him and that place is going to be filled with light. And it's going to strengthen him for the calling and the identity that he has. It's unfolded for him in prayer and in a renewal of the truth of who he is and the truth of who the Father is and a truth of who the Holy Spirit is, the truth of the plan that has been set from time immemorial so that we would be okay, so that we could be saved. Jesus is renewed in that reality. David was renewed in his reality. And we need to come back to that, remembering and enjoying it, appreciating the truth of God and who we are in him, clinging to him, asking friends to help us. But sometimes even mothers and fathers, it says in one of the Psalms, will abandon us, but the Lord will never abandon us. So we cling to him. And the last thing after we've got the, the sermon is broken down to three parts. First, thirsting. Secondly, appreciating by remembering and enjoying. And then third, trust. This last section is a little bit more difficult for us to understand. He basically is talking about those who seek to destroy his life, which as a matter of fact is Saul and the, the, the servants that he has who will probably try and do that if they're given the chance, that they would destroy David if given the chance. And he basically realizes that God has a different perspective here. The God has chosen somebody he chose Saul first and then he chose David to be his successor and those who choose to militate against God's choice, God will deal with them. Those who choose to militate against God's choice, God will deal with them. That's what happened with Jesus. That's what happened with David. But you might think that therefore, well, David is justified then in making it happen. He could actually wrench the kingdom out from the hands of Saul, that he could take it by force. And that's not at all how David finishes here. The way that David finishes is that God will deal with them. And in fact, that's kind of what Peter learns, isn't it? The one who was saying, far be it from you, Lord, tries to cut off that guy's ear. And that was the whole reason that the Lord had come. That was his hour of suffering. And the reason why he came was so that he would be a king much different than Peter had in mind. And Peter was going to try and force it. I think a lot of times we try and force it. And we have to yield it up to the Lord. He can let it go. When just a little bit later, it tells in the story of David as he's fleeing from Saul the Lord actually gives Saul into David's hand. They're hiding out in a cave. And um, Saul comes in to relieve himself because they're out in the field. 
I guess that's what you did in those days. It was sort of like they didn't have porta potties. And so he's in the cave, and David is in the cave. And David realizes I could actually take his life right now. I could make it happen. Because, well, I'm, I'm called to do it anyway, right? And David realizes under conviction that he is not supposed to do that. That the Lord had chosen Saul and the Lord had chosen him, but the Lord doesn't just choose who, he chooses when and how as well. And so David entrusts himself completely to the Lord that he will bring it about. Jesus entrusts himself completely to the Father and he ultimately is raised and exalted to the highest place. I can't tell you how important I think this is for us because I think we are living in an age of anxiety right now. If we don't learn how to pray this way, if we don't learn how to live this way, we're going to get stuck in our trouble. We're going to get stuck in our passion. We're going to lose our identities. We're going to try and force it. But if we learn this way of prayer, then the Lord is faithful to answer them. My wife woke up with, uh, this morning bringing to me Psalm 107, and, and I just want to tell you, read Psalm 107. This will take home everything that I've been saying today. I'm not going to say much about it, but there's several stanzas in here that drive home the point that I'm trying to make, that, um, that uh, the Lord will answer their praise. They cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. And it describes all these different ways we're in trouble. And then you cry out to the Lord and he delivers them in their distress. Sometimes the distress is things that we've done because we rebelled. Sometimes the distress is just because we're small and we're weak. And if we cry out to him in our distress, he delivers us. And again and again, if we learn this way of prayer, in the presence, in the joy of the Lord, releasing all things to him, he will answer those cries of our heart and deliver us from our distress. I've been praying about our church. You know, we, we've been small. We, we grow a little bit. We contract a little bit. We grow a little bit. We contract a little bit. We have this classic problem of the small church that can't quite get over 100. And we want to grow. We want to be this church that is like a, you know, a, a lamp on a lampstand. And we want people to be drawn to that light and people to be coming to the Lord. And we want this place to be filled because what we have to give is Jesus. And he's so wonderful, we can't help but want to share him. And, um, and I just thought, okay, so last year we, we, uh, we, we didn't grow again. Maybe we shrunk a little bit. We didn't quite make our budget. Um, so I was praying about this and I saw this picture and I saw us, like, it was like, it was about us. It was about Lady Christ. We're going through a valley in a desert land. This is before I had done any of this sermon work. We're going through a valley in a desert land, and it's, it's narrowing, starting to narrow. It, it, like in a gorge, you know, when you, like you, you go into this place, and there's these high cliffs, and it gets very narrow. And then it'll come out the side somewhere on the other side of the gorge. But I realize that we're led by Jesus, and he's also dressed in like desert nomadic garb. But it's kind of hidden. We don't realize that it's him. And he's dressed in desert garb. At some level, we know it's him, but we don't fully get it. And we follow behind him. We can only go two by two through the gorge. So it's this narrowing experience. Like we're, we're, we're as, a, as a band of people, we're making it. But there will be times when it feels like you're just going two by two and you can only partner up. Jesus sometimes just had the three with him, right? And, and it narrows to that gorge and they go through. But I realized that there was a place from which we could see that we're going to come through. 
It's a place of prayer. It's a God perspective prayer. And from that height, we could see that we will come through, that we can trust this one who has been faithful in the past, that he will also take us through here. And we will come through that gorge, and the way that I was seeing it from that heightened place was it will be open. It'd be wide open. It'd be a lush place with beautiful green grass and still waters. And that'll be a place of refreshment and a place of provision. And that it will almost be like coming through um, like a birth canal into a new way of life. That was the sense of it. Such a new expression and experience of God coming through the narrows. I heard words like return to the light, walk in the light, be children of the light, be children of his presence, remember me, remember his presence, and walk with me through the gorge. Walk with your king and you will arrive with your king. It was my way of struggling in prayer. And the Lord was saying, cry out to me in your distress and I will deliver you. Lord, I thank you that you feed us with your word, but... This morning, I don't know what our distresses are. Each of us come from a different place. I pray, Lord, that we would be able to bear our souls to you, that we would be able to open our mouths to you, we'd be able to open our hearts, open our hands, Lord, that we would seek you, that we would thirst for you, that we would hunger for you. Lord, I pray that especially if we've been troubled by our own sin, as we make confession, that we would be restored by you. Lord, I pray that if we are troubled by just the troubles of the world, that we would come to your table and that we would be fed with true food and drink and that we would find ourselves so satisfied. Lord, you have every ministry that we need this morning and you are the one who is leading us and so we follow you. We follow you. We thank you, Jesus, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.